Well, as many, as many of you know, um, maybe not all of you, most of you, uh, we spent, Yvonne and I did, the last several days, uh, actually a couple of days this week at, uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Desiring God Conference for Pastors, and Phil Gusky came along, along with his son, Philip Aaron, and uh, just had a, a wonderful time. It was great to spend so much time with my wife, and uh, without kids, kind of like a marriage, a little marriage retreat we had. It's good to spend time with uh, Phil and his son, who both have a heart to the Lord, and it was good time to really think about prayer. That was the, the topic of the, the conference, was, was prayer. And I had every intention in going upon returning to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, as we've been exposing verse by verse of the book of Hebrews. We've come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and Abraham. However, the things of the, con- of the conference were so rich and so helpful to me, and I just want to share with you some of the things I learned as I thought about prayer. Abraham will wait until next week. So this week, and he'll wait pretty well, actually, by the way. <laughs> and we'll look into his great faith um, next week. But this week, we're going to look at the, the topic of prayer. You know, it is an area that all of us need to think about. All of us need to improve. C.J. Vaughn once said, If I ever wish to humble anyone... I should ask him about his prayers. So how are your prayers? What's true of anyone is probably true of you and is certainly true of me. We all need improvement in our practice of prayer. And so this morning I want to give us some lessons on prayer, which is the title of my message today. And, um, you know, uh, this is going to be like a totally topical message today. Um, I, I always have some kind of text. I don't even have a single text which you'd say, this was the one that we're going to hang our thoughts on. Um, normally, I, I mean, by, by practice and preference, I love to just get to a, a single text and, and, and mine the depths of all the riches that are there because there's so much riches in each text. We're, we're going to kind of fly the surface. We're going to have you be turning in your Bibles more than normal today. So uh, get ready with your fingers, if you will. Um, but I think it'll be good. Uh, I have five exhortations by way of outline this morning, and all of them come through something that was heard at the conference. Um, sometimes it's just a phrase that was said, and then I'm just kind of taking that and elaborated on it in my own way. I really encourage you to listen to the, the messages out there at DesiringGod.org. I know that some of you have. I know some of you came up and said to me, hey, we watched some of those uh, uh, real-life streaming video, and that's wonderful. They might help you. I, I just know my heart is this. I... I my heart's desire is that we would be a praying church. It um, doesn't always work out that way. My heart's that I'd be a praying man. It doesn't always work out that way either. But I've had pressure to have Sunday school. Hey, would you have Sunday school? you have Sunday school? I said, no, we don't have Sunday school. What we do is we're committed to pray every morning, every Sunday morning. And uh, I know my heart's desire is to have a church that's praying. I know that many of you don't come to that meeting. I want to invite you afresh Come at 9 o'clock, just right there in the family room, and come and pray for each other and pray for the church. I'd love to have to move that meeting to here because so many come and pray. Um, kids manage something to do, but I would really long for that. And so some of that, I think at the conference this week, resonated in my own heart. I want to increase in prayer in my own heart. I want to see us as a church increase in our heart of prayer as a church as well. I want that to spread to your families because it is really the core way we communicate with God. God speaks to us through His Word, and we speak to Him through prayer. So before we, we even get in, let's, let's pray and seek the Lord in this matter. Father, I would pray that You would use these lessons on prayer that You have um, really 
pricked my heart with or encouraged me with. God, may they come to our body here at Rock Valley Bible Church and encourage us all to be those who, who depend upon you day by day. Just praying unto you and trusting you for your grace, your sovereignty in our lives. We pray you'd use this message to convict us where we need to be convicted, to challenge us where we need to be challenged, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged. God, that in all ways we would be those who would commune rightly with you through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, my first point this morning is this. Avoid prayerless prayer. Avoid prayerless prayer. It's a phrase that Joel Beakey used. Uh, he's a pastor of a church in Grand Rapids. He is a president, uh, founder, I think, of Puritan Theological Seminary. He's steeped in the Puritans. His message on prayer, the first session was fabulous. Just deep, rich, content rich. I, I told Yvonne and Phil, I kept saying that that was one of the most content rich messages I've ever heard. Because he was in the, either in the Bible or quoting some Puritan and just fantastic thoughts on prayer. But he talked about this concept about prayerless prayer. And uh, by it, what he meant was was words that came out of the mouth, which could be identified as prayer, but really in the end they were vain, empty words. A good place for to illustrate this is Matthew chapter 6. You can open your Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. Find us deep in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing the prayers of the Pharisees, addressing them in a, in a poor way. And He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, When you pray, He's speaking to the multitudes now, His disciples, those who are following Him out in the north, part of the Sea of Galilee, says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they stand and pray in the synagogues, not on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That's prayerless praying. I mean, you can say, hey, they're praying. I mean, words are coming out of their mouth. You can hear what they're saying. They're speaking about God. They're speaking about a lot of Scripture perhaps, but such prayers are being offered are still devoid of power. It's what we're talking about, about prayerless praying. And you can see that the hint here right here in verse 5 is that there are other motives going on. It's a desire to be seen as spiritual, though actually not. They want to be seen by men is what it says in verse 5. In other words, that these hypocrites would stand up in front of people and make a, make a pretentious show, but rather than having their eyes and their thoughts and their minds on God, really have their eyes and their thoughts and their man, uh, minds on people. Maybe if they're closing their eyes up to God, maybe they, they look with one eye down here. Are people looking and, and watching me? If no one is around, it's useless prayer. It's like the tree that falls in the forest. to make a noise. Who knows? And if nobody's hearing praying, it's, it's useless. And that is prayerless praying. Praying for the show. And Jesus said, they have the reward in full. What that means is there's no power in their prayers. Everything that they have prayed has been all taken care of by the reward they get by being viewed as men. Oh, look at how spiritual that man is. The contrast to prayerless prayers, verse 6, it's a genuine prayer. But when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus here isn't saying you should never pray in public because Jesus did. That's not the point. But the point is this, is that that the genuine prayer of a saint is that prayer which seeks God's approval alone that goes into the inner room where nobody sees, shuts the door, there's no eye of anybody, and kneels down and prays before the Lord. That's the genuine prayer. That's the real prayer. In fact, the closet prayer, the silent prayer, the uh, 
The secret prayer is what gives power to the public prayer. Robert Murray McShane said it this way, A man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. So let's avoid prayerless praying. In verse 7, we see some other things that might contribute to prayerless praying. Lots of words. Verse 7, And we are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here's a real practical point for you. You don't have to be long in your prayers in order to have effectual prayers. In fact, sometimes, you ever, you ever been in a prayer meeting or praying with somebody and someone just kind of drones on and on and on and on? You're like, whoa, it kind of gets hard. Sometimes it could be because the prayers are being prayerless prayers. See, God knows what we need. Our prayers to Him don't need to be ornate or flowery. They can be really simple and short. I think of the story of Elijah. He offered a, a simple and short prayer. 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember the challenge on Mount Carmel? It was, it was Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. And uh, he said, okay, let's, let's set up this contest so we can figure out who is really God. And uh, let's get two oxen. We'll put them on two different altars. And you prepare them here and we'll prepare them here. And I tell you what, let's pray to our gods. You pray to your gods, I'll pray to the one true God. And whoever's uh, uh, sacrifice gets burned on the altar, that one is truly God. And this is like one of the most funniest scenes in all of the Scriptures. In fact, you can turn there if you want to in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's back in the Old Testament. This is, this is so good. It's the kind of thing, if ever you're reading through this in family worship, you just stop and, and think about how funny Elijah is, is proving to be. So, in verse 24, all the prophets of Baal said, okay, that's a good idea to put up these two altars. And so, Elijah's sitting there watching the whole day about watching what, what these men are doing. And it says in verse 26 that they took the ox which was given to them, they prepared it and called the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us! Morning until noon. I mean, that's whatever. Four hours. Five hours. Six hours. Praying. Oh, Baal, answer us! Oh, Baal, answer us! But no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which was made. Oh, Baal, answer us! You know, doing the Indian... Indian rain dance or something, trying to get God, to, their God, Baal, to do something. And, and then uh, Elijah sitting back, kind of just smirking, I think. And then he says, here it is, um, Elijah mocked them. He said, why don't you call out with a loud voice? Like maybe he can't hear you, right? Increase the volume like your gods can't hear you. He says, maybe he's occupied. What that means is maybe he's gone to the restroom and you gotta, you gotta really shout, or, or maybe he's gone aside, so maybe he's on a journey, your God, you have heads to say he's on a journey, or, or maybe he's asleep. You need to be awakening him, so, so call really loud is what Elijah's doing. He's just mocking, mocking him, and upon hearing that, they cried out with a loud voice to Baal. Look what it says in verse 28, they cried out with a loud voice. He was giving them good opportunities, good advice, good counsel. And then to make it more, they, they cut themselves, verse 28, according to their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And verse 29, when midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice. No voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Think about the multiplied prayers, the many, many prayers that went up. And by contrast, we're going to see Elijah who basically said, verse 30, okay, everybody come, come to me. And he doused 
the, his offering three times with water, so much so the trench around it was filled with water just to make sure that people knew what was happening. And then in verse 36, here's Elijah's prayer. Short, simple, sweet, effectual. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and I have done all these things at Your Word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that You, O Lord, are God and that You have turned their heart back again. And then fire came down from heaven, verse 38, and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. The prophets of Baal prayed long prayers all day long. Nothing. Elijah prays for two sentences. And here comes God acts. You don't need long prayers. You need genuine prayers. Joel Beakey said it really well. He said, focus on the quality of your prayer, not the quantity. The quality of your prayer, not the quantity. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus prayed some great prayers, right? He's on the boat and His disciples are, are afraid in, in Mark chapter 5 and Jesus then awakened and said, be still. It's a pretty short prayer. Or when Lazarus was dead, Jesus said, come forth. Two word prayers. Pretty effectual. When feeding the 5,000 says that Jesus merely gave thanks. He wasn't a long time in doing it. He just gave thanks and fed 5,000 people. Let us not bore God let us not bore others. Let us not bore ourselves with long, meaningless, meaningless prayers. Rather, let us pray powerful prayers, not prayerless prayers. Let's move on. My second exhortation to you, not only avoid prayerless praying, but second, let's pursue scriptural praying. By this, I simply mean that we should pray the Bible back to God. One man said, I, I remember it, I didn't write it in my notes, but one man at this conference spoke about how God loves to hear his handwriting prayed back to him. In other words, he loves to hear the Bible prayed back to him. And if we are just in the habit of praying the, the Bible, it helps keep our prayers biblical. It helps us to request those things that, that God has promised. And it also resonates with our heart. There's, there's something that says that can help us say amen to those kind of things. Because a, a Bible-saturated prayer, I'm not sure if you know, is different than uh, a prayer we, we normally pray. Uh, David Michael, he's the pastor of children's ministries at uh, Desiring God at Bethlehem Baptist Church. And uh, he, he said this, I'm going to pray two prayers, okay? And I'm going to pray for, um, for my daughter, okay? And so let me pray one prayer, and then I'll pray another prayer and see if your heart rings true with one of them, okay? Here, here's one of them. Let's, let's really pray for her, okay? Uh, because she's, um, she's planning, she's got a lot of homework to do today. She's planning on maybe going out to spend some time at the Super Bowl with some friends and so... She does need some prayer today. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for Carissa and for her heart. Um, would pray that you would keep her safe today. Pray that she would get her work done. Um, would pray that as she drives on the snowy roads that um, she would be safe, that you would keep her from maybe some bad situations that might occur. Uh, you never know in a group of college kids what will take place, but we do we do pray for that. I pray, Lord, that you would help her to say things which are pleasing and honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a good prayer, I think. Are those good things? Yeah. All right. Now let, let's think about it. I'm going to pray the exact same things. All right? But this will be a Bible-saturated prayer. See if you see the difference. Okay? Let's pray. Father, according to your 
great riches and grace in Christ Jesus, we pray for Carissa. May she seek refuge under her, under your wings. May she delight herself in the Lord and may you give her the desires of your heart. Lead her not into temptation, O Lord, but deliver her from evil. May her, her speech always be, as it were, seasoned with salt. May, may she do, let her light shine before men in such a way they may see her good deeds and glorify you, O Lord, who is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just prayed the exact same things, but there's a difference in the prayer. Is there not? I mean, just one is, one, I just took passages of Scripture and just led them in. And I'm not saying to be flowery or ornate. I'm just saying just, just take the Bible and let it, let it saturate your prayers. And there'll be a, a richness to your prayers, a richness to your walk with God. Because one thing to pray in our words, another thing to pray in God's words. One thing to pray in our thoughts, another thing to pray along the, the thoughts that, of God of what He told us to pray. But think about it, in order to pray those prayers, Scripture needs to be on your heart. It needs to be in your mind, does it not? In fact, turn to Jonah chapter 2. Here we see an Old Testament example of a, of a man who prayed the Scripture. Uh, Jonah is a, one of the, the minor prophets. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. You should be able to, to find it there, Jonah. We've been through this book in the past. Um, Jonah... Chapter 2 finds himself in danger in the stomach of a, of a fish, a big fish. We don't know what kind of fish that was exactly. Here was a disobedient prophet having run from the Lord, but God is pursuing him for the sake of the Ninevites, and he preserves him safely in the, uh, in the fish. Okay. Let me just pray his prayer. He prayed this. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the depths, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me. All the breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again upon your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and I called to you and you delivered me. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and prayed to you and to your holy temple. Those regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. That's Jonah's prayer. I wasn't quite right there. I'm trying to review Jonah. But did you know that Jonah, in his prayer, in Jonah chapter 2, just tied together about 20 psalms in his prayer? Every single one of those phrases can be traced back into the psalms with some kind of phrase... Or another. And I'm sure that in some of the Psalms it was David talking about being overwhelmed by the, the floods of something, and Jonah said, Well, that's the appropriate time which I can talk about being overwhelmed with a flood, because here I am in the water in the stomach of the fish. But Jonah knew the scripture very well, and so when he prayed, he just prayed the Bible. I would encourage us to do that as well. It means though that God's word needs to be on our hearts and our minds. I would encourage you 
to be involved in some memory. Uh, one of the things at Bethlehem Baptist Church I've heard about many times before is their fighter verses. The church body, they memorize a, a portion of Scripture every week. And just praying about whether we should do that at our church. Because we either need to be all in with that or, or not. But just thinking about the, the benefits of that. There was one I, I wrote up um, to one of the secretaries up there and just said, how does this work, it, work out? And she emailed me back. And here's what she said. She said, for me personally, the last six years at Bethlehem Baptist Church has been revolutionary. My own time with the Word, the discipline of memorizing has worked into the fabric of my life. And if we can do some of that, that would really help us to pray scriptural prayers. It takes work. I mean, you don't just memorize easily. It takes a lot of work to memorize. But it, but it will help us in our relationship with the Lord as we pray scriptural prayers. But if you say, you know what, I don't have a lot of Scripture memorized, how can I do that? Well, I just encourage you to pray through Bible passages. Listen to Robert Murray McShane when he wrote to a young man giving advice. He says, you read your Bible regularly, of course, but do try to understand it. And still more, he says, to feel it. Read more parts than one at a time. For example, if you're reading Genesis, read a psalm also. If you're reading Matthew, read a a bit of an epistle also. And then he says this, he says, turn the Bible into prayer. Thus, if you are reading the first psalm, Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, its leaves will not wither. He says, if you're reading that psalm, he says, spread the Bible on the chair before you and kneel and pray, and pray like this. O Lord, give me the blessedness of the man. O Lord, let me not stand in the counsel of the ungodly. And Robert Murray Shame says, this is the best way of knowing the meaning of the Bible and of learning to pray. So I really encourage you. That's, that's how I pray, just through the Psalms, through the Bible. Just I sit there on my knees in my office, just there through some text of Scripture, just reading it and praying it back to God. I encourage you to, to do the same. Work through the pages of Scripture in your prayers. Okay. Avoid prayerless prayers. Pursue scriptural praying. Here's my third lesson I learned, thought about. Third, embrace the desperation of prayer. Embrace the desperation of prayer. Desperation is a key word there. Paul Miller brought to my attention the conference. I'd never met him, never knew him before, but he was one of the speakers. Great, great guy, it seems. He said this. He said, desperation is what you need to develop a prayer life. Desperation is what you need to develop a prayer life. He said something to the effects of this. Okay, my, my words, I didn't go back to figure it out what's, what's going on, but something like this. He said, sermons on prayer and discipline are good, but not essential to a prayer life. Desperation is what you need to develop a prayer life. So I'm like, you know what? Kind of shades light on how good my message is today. I mean, sermons are good, talks on prayer are good, but it's like uh, that has no value compared to desperation when you're helpless and desperate and, and have nowhere else to turn. That's what's going to help your prayer life far more than a, a message on prayer. And this, this thought has been echoed by many. He says, You cannot make a man that's full cry for food like one that is hungry. That was Edward Payson. Someone who's full won't cry for food like someone who's hungry. You don't need to teach the hungry how to beg for bread. Or, Proverbs 27, verse 7, One who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. 
Same idea. When we're empty, we have nowhere else to turn. It's then that we will pray. It was only when Manasseh found himself in a Babylonian jail that he repented and prayed. It was only when Nebuchadnezzar was out grazing like an ox that he humbled himself and prayed. Remember the two blind men along the road? When they found out that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, they, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And the crowds kept saying, shh, shh, quiet down. They said, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. What caused them to pray so much? Their eyes were blind and they had a desperation, so they're pleading with the Lord. Pleading with Jesus to give them sight. Or maybe you remember the Syrophoenician woman. She kept coming to Jesus. In fact, here, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. She just comes and comes and comes. She's relentless. Why is she relentless? Because she's desperate. It says in Matthew 15, verse 21, that in the district of Tyre and Sidon, verse 22, a Canaanite woman came and began crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. You can feel for the lady. She had a, a, a child that was demon-possessed. Who knows what that means? Convulsions. Um, who knows, throwing herself in the fire maybe, hurting herself, harming herself, out of control. Who knows? And she was desperate. But she knew that in Jesus was going to be her help. But Jesus did not answer her a word. Just kind of ignored her. His disciples came and implored Him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. Picture the scene. Jesus with the disciples, or some of the disciples, the disciples out there dealing with this lady. Lady, calm down. Calm down. She says, Jesus, help me. My daughter's demon possessed. Calm down, lady. Woman, calm down. Jesus, help me. And she's shouting at us. Telling, hey, can I come in and see Jesus? I just want to see Jesus. What's making her so earnest in prayer? It's her desperation. And then Jesus answered and said, I have no time for her. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, send her away. But they couldn't. She came and she bowed down to the ground. And so think about her desperation. She's bowing down. She's low on the ground saying, Lord, help me. You only bow when you're really desperate. Pleading with God. And then Jesus turns her away again and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to dogs. I mean, this is for, I'm here for Israel. We've got to give Israel the bread. You don't give it to dogs, calling her a dog. She basically, he basically insulted her. Swore at her, kind of. Told her a bad name. She's a dog. We think of dogs in our culture as nice and pretty, and some of you have some pretty dogs. Back, they're all mutts, and they're all, they're all just things that you'd kick around back then. They weren't domesticated nearly like they are today. She called him a dog. And she said, she's so desperate. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She says, I just want a crumb. Just a little bit. Jesus, help me. Do you see the desperation there? And when the despera- with the desperation comes an answer to prayer. Oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. I think this kind of gives a picture a little bit of how we need to come to God. We need to come to God desperate like children. And you come to God desperate like those needing something that only God can provide. And that's why, boy, it's good for us to remind ourselves constantly in our prayers the truth of the Gospel. God, we are but dust and, and You are the substance that created everything. Oh God, You're the Eternal One, but we're temporary. You're all-powerful, but we are weak. You know, O oh Lord, the mysteries of the universe. We know but little. You're the Holy One and we're sinful. You rule the universe, O oh Lord, but we are Your servants. 
And yet, God, through Jesus Christ, we can come and as great as you are can access you. And we, we plead your help in this circumstance. And when you see God for as big as he is, you see Christ's work on the cross for you and that we're told to come boldly, it might give you a little desperation to come before him. Well, the passage really encouraged me in this conference it was uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I think this passage ministered to me as much as any other passage because for me, the biggest struggle I have is I pray for the Lord, I get on my knees, and a zillion things start entering my mind. And uh, I start thinking about the work that needs to be done, the phone calls that need to be made, the meetings that need to be prepared, the shepherding that needs to take place, the emails that need to happen, the, the messages I need to prepare, the Bible studies I need to lead. And then on top of that, you just issues with the kids and issues with the home and issues with uh, things outside. And the, I mean, I mean every, does that happen to you? You guys have that problem? <laughs> Distracted? It's really what it is. What it is? It's the burdens of the world come upon you. And look what Matthew 11, verse 28 says. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, here's, here's the thing. I think it was Paul Miller. He, uh, Miller, is that his last name? Is that right? He, um, he said something to this effect. He said, the very burdens you have ought to be the very reason why you come to God. In, in, other, in other words, that's why we come and we pray to Him, because of these burdens. And too often these burdens are distracting for us. And then he said something to this effect. Again, these aren't his exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. He said, Jesus didn't say, come to me all who have figured out how to put all your worries aside so you might pray to me without distraction. He says, no, God wants us to come to Him muddy and dirty. He wants us to come to God when we are overwhelmed and burdened. That's exactly what He wants because He will take those burdens from you. So when you feel overwhelmed and burdened, or when you're praying, you've got all these things, realize that that's the best place to be. When you're overwhelmed, when you have all these things, say, God, I, I need to come to you. I'm, I'm, and maybe confess it to Him. Maybe say, God, I'm, I'm burdened and heavy laden. Will you give me rest? Will you help take these things upon yourself? And I just say that ministered to me in a, in a great way. I just um, may God use that verse to help me to pray in a greater way. And Joe Beakey along the same line says, whenever you have the least impulse to pray, it's when you really need to pray. Right? Whenever you're distracted by the things of the world and the burdens you have, that's right when you need to pray. So let's embrace the desperation of prayer. Fourthly, here's my fourth exhortation. Recognize hindrances to prayer. Recognize hindrances to prayer. This, this came up in the question and answer session at the conference. There was a question asked to the panel, I mean, after the speakers. and I mean, there were only there were 1,500 people at this place. And uh, so there's lots of people written down questions. And a question came up. Lots of people asked it. Basically this, what about unanswered prayer? What about unanswered prayer? Um, Francis Chan shared this message, this wonderful message about all the ways God's been miraculous in answering prayers in his life. But here's it. What about unanswered prayer? And then there was silence, I remember, on the panel for quite some time. Like, who's going who's to tackle that one? Finally, Francis Chan, who had delivered this message, spoke up and he said something, again, to the effect of this. If God isn't answering your prayers, then maybe you need to examine your life. And then he alluded to several passages of Scripture that, that place the responsibility for unanswered prayers upon us and the way that we are living and the faith that we are lacking. 
let's just spend a few minutes just thinking about the hindrances to prayer because it's very real. God may not answer our prayers because of issues in our life. Uh, Psalm 66. Let's turn there. Psalm 66. Uh, this psalm's a, a psalm which calls to praise to God. Verse 1, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. It's a song of, of praise. And the reason why the psalm is in a praising mood is because of God's answer to His prayers. And I just want to pick it up in verse 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what He's done for my soul. It's, a, it's an invitation. Come, I'm so excited about what God has done for me. I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. And here's verse 18, which we'll get back to. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor His loving kindness from me. This man saw his prayer answered, but he knew very well what may not have answered his prayer if he regarded wickedness in his heart. Verse 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And I say this, if you regard wickedness in your heart, God's not going to hear your prayers. You ever seen a television with the volume all the way down? You hit the mute button. Which if you're watching the Super Bowl, it's a good thing to hit. Many times, and that's what God hears when we have wickedness in our heart. He doesn't hear our prayers. I don't care how long you pray. I don't care how much you pray. There's wickedness in your heart. God won't hear. And again, that's the reason to rehearse the gospel even before God and just say, God, I know that there's wickedness in my heart. And I thank you that Jesus has come and cleansed me through a sacrifice upon the cross. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming now, not on my own sin, I'm coming through, through Christ. So God, cleanse my heart, purify it, that you might hear my prayers. It's a good prayer to pray to overcome that hindrance. But know that hindrance and keep it, keep it in mind. Uh, another one, John 15, verse 7. So why don't you turn over to John 15, verse 7. Here's Jesus talking about being the vine and the branches. It's a simple passage, really profound though, and really opens up to us how, how, how readily God is ready to answer our prayers. It says in verse 7, If you abide in Me, and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. What an astonishing promise, huh? But there's a condition to it. There's an if. We must be abiding in Christ. We must be depending upon Him. We must be walking with Him. We must be trusting in Him. We must also have His words abiding in us. So there's just a communion there, right? We know God's words were Christ's words. We're trusting in them. And, and if that is the case, truly whatever we want will certainly be according to His will because His, His truth is in us. Whatever we want, He will ask answer for us. But a reason then on the flip side for unanswered prayer is this. It may be that you're not trusting in the Gospel. It may be that you're not trusting in Jesus alone. It may be that you're not abiding His words. That may be a reason why prayers aren't answered. Or how about another one? 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn over there. 1 Peter chapter 3. Just one verse. Man, this might be a reason why your prayers aren't answered. 
says in verse 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, there are a couple different interpretations of exactly what it means here. It could be that if you are contentious with your wife, you won't have a desire to pray. Or it could be if there are marital difficulties there, it could be that God doesn't even hear your prayers because He would rather you deal with that relationship first before you try to deal with His relationship. And that's the spirit of what Jesus said, right? If you're presenting your, your offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering on the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Right? The idea is, God, God says is that, that worship to me is catch me, it's secondary in some sense. There's, there's things you need to take care of horizontally before you, you come to me. And it may be that some marriages, prayers are hindered because the marriages aren't right. And I think what's true of the husband could probably be true of the wife as well. There's things wrong there. It's not like God's, oh, you're a woman, I'll hear your prayer, but won't hit the man. I don't think that's the case. They just, it, it just speaks about relationships when it's bad. And, and men, when you are not granting honor to your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of Christ, your prayers will be hindered. I mean, that's a straight promise from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And so it may be that there's an issue in your life. These are just some of the passages that speak about this. The Bible does talk this way. Are we righteous and pure coming? And G- James even says, uh, I think it's James 4, you ask but don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. And so you can have wrong motives in asking too. And so there's lots of things. So understand and recognize the hindrances to prayer. And it might be something that's inhibiting your prayers before the Lord. I'd encourage you to recognize those and, and repent and seek the one who delights to hear and answer our prayers. And, and you know what? It may just be that God wants you to acknowledge the fact that He's not been listening to you as a way of repentance. I mean, this, this passage blew me away. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, Paul Miller mem- mentioned this one just in the, in the answer to the same question. And he just kind of mentioned it. And I looked it up and said, wow, I've never, never seen that before. Never... But it is amazing here of just the role of unanswered prayer. Is this chapter, Jeremiah chapter 2, finds the Lord lamenting the apostasy of Judah. They follow their own ways rather than the ways of God, and, and Jeremiah is calling them to account for this. And, and look at verse 5, or verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, here's God's perspective on your answered, unanswered prayers. What injustice did your fathers find in me? that way went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty. What, what was wrong with me that they followed their own ways rather than following me? And verse 6, look at this. They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a, a land of deserts and pits, through a land of droughts and deep darkness, through a land which no one crossed and where no one dwelt? They didn't say, where's God? said, hey, we're facing difficult times. Where's God? Right? They just faced their own difficult times. God speaks about His blessing. Verse 7, I brought you into a fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things, but you came back into Father land and my inheritance. You made an abomination. And verse 8, look at this. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? And those who handle law did not know me. The rulers also 
transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and they walked after things they did not profit. Therefore, God says, verse 9, I will contend with you and with your sons, sons, I will contend. Do you see even here what it is? The, the problem is that they didn't recognize that God had been absent or that God didn't answer their prayers. There are times when God wants us to acknowledge our unanswered prayer by way of repentance and just say, God, we, where are you? Are you here? He likes to hear that. His, his, his condemnation upon these people is they didn't say, God, where are you? It may well be the means through which God will turn and answer our prayers. We turn back and say, God, you've been gone. You've been distant. How long, O Lord? Psalm 13. Will you help? Okay, so those are the kind of things talked about in this answer. But then, then John Piper did give a caveat. And he said, you know what? But not everything is, is our fault in unanswered prayer. And he said, for some people, that may be the very thing you need. Maybe some things in your life you need to look at. But Piper also pointed out some reasons which answered prayer is exactly what God wants in your life. Remember the thorn in Paul's flesh? Facing some type of pain and hardship. We don't know the physical ailment or another person or a demonic messenger. We don't, we don't know. But Paul prayed three times it might leave him. God, may this thorn leave me. And God every time said no. God, may this thorn leave me. May this thorn leave me. And God says no. God, please. This thorn is painful. Please leave me. Can you take it away? And God says no. There is an answer to prayer and that answer is no. It's not going to be answered. I'm not going to remove it. And God said then, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. God says this, Paul, I've heard your prayer regarding the pain in your life, but my sovereign plan, I've determined removing this wound from you would not be the best thing for you. I'm not going to remove it. Rather, I'm going to give you the grace to endure it. That's my answer to prayer. Not as Paul wanted. And Paul then said, well, that's the case. I'll boast of my weakness for when so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And, and it may be your un- prayers are unanswered because God has ordained something else for your life. Contrary to your own prayers and your own thoughts. We're not the all-wise person. God is the all-wise one. And such things we might think entirely contrary to what we want or we think. And uh, I think uh, John Piper mentioned Isaiah. You remember Remember him when he saw the throne, the vision of Isaiah, of God sitting on the throne, the train of his robe filling the temple, the thresholds being shook, the seraphim flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then basically the, the angel took the coal off the altar, cleansed his lips, he's clean. He says, who will go? And Isaiah says, I'll go. And then right after that says, okay, you go and you keep tell these people, keep on listening but do not perceive. Keep on looking but do not understand. Render the hearts of people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Basically, you go and you preach in such a way that they hear what you say, but they won't repent. And God basically commissioned Isaiah to a lifetime of fruitless ministry. I'm just trying to think about Isaiah... How many times he preached and he preached, he told the people to repent, and they totally rejected God. Listen, any of Isaiah's prayers to God for, for Judah to come to repentance would have fallen on deaf ears because God had a bigger plan. But I know that's not the plan that I would like as a pastor of a church to say, hey, go and preach for people ineffective. You have a church of 20 all your life. 
That'd be difficult to hear, but that's what Isaiah was. That was that was a difference in God's will and our will, and and um, that may be an answer, and why a prayer is unanswered because God's plan is better. So just just work hard, I would say, to discern the difference of why prayers are not answered. Recognize the hindrances to prayer. Examine your life. If there's anything in there, so you can rid those, so God will use you mightily. All right, final point. Avoid prayerless praying, pursue scriptural praying, embrace the desperation of prayer, recognize hindrances of prayer. Finally, practice family prayer. I think of all the messages in the conference, the message Joel Beakey gave on family worship was the most practical. Um, It was, was it Tuesday night maybe? Um, Very powerful message. Just talked about family worship. And uh, here at this point, I just want to summon you all again to a fresh call Family worship in your homes. Just what I'm talking about, just gathering regularly in your home for worship of the Lord. And um, by God's grace, is an area in which I can speak from experience. So we as a family have, have gathered for worship. Basically, our whole marriage, Yvonne, we've started, and it's not, it's not, that's not been a problem for us. So God's grace. Some of it has to do with a, a book. When I was in California, with Yvonne, I was in the Grace Book Shack there in the Grace Community Church, and I can tell you exactly the spot on earth where I was, where I saw this book on the shelf. It's called Thoughts on Family Worship by J.W. Alexander. Any of you heard that book before? Some of, nobody? Some of you have? I saw that book, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what family worship is. I've never heard of family worship before. I, I didn't grow up in a home where family worship was modeled, didn't know what that was, so I kind of picked it up and just said, hey, let's, let's buy this book. And uh, then we probably read it out loud. I'm not, not sure. And read it out loud together made a profound impact upon both of us. But just to the importance of worshiping God together in the family. And uh, that little book, I meant to bring it today. I forgot it on my desk at home. But it's such an important book. It's been marked up. I've read through it several times. It just gives an encouragement to that. But I know the day I bought that book. June 10th, 1994. I just kind of wrote it at the bottom because I traced back, okay, when were we in California? That's the day we bought this book. And so I can kind of trace it back to God's grace in that. Uh, we were expecting our first child in three months before having bought that book. And it has, next to the Bible, done greater good in our lives than any other book that we have, we have read. Um, and we've consistently, since that time, let's see, 1994, that was uh, 16 and a half years ago. Yeah, because it was 16 and a half. Um, we've just changed our life of what, what we've done. We've practiced family worship consistently. It's not every day. You know, there have been seasons of up and down. or Time of change, practice of change. But by God's grace, the practice has remained uh, really in, intact. Uh, there have been times, seasons of our life, where we were able to gather twice a day in the morning and the evening what uh, J.C. Alexander talks about. Um, Seasons where we've gathered only one or two days a week because of some busyness of things taking place, but never has there been a time where we as a family have not gathered together on a consistent basis to read the Scripture and pray together. Three elements of family worship are this, singing, reading the Bible, and praying. It's real simple. Uh, For us, there have been times where we used to sing a lot. When our kids were small, we sang a lot just to sing the doctrine into their heart. Um, we've always read the Scriptures, but there have been times the kids got older that we sang less. 
In times we prayed much, in times we prayed little. And, and Joe Beakey's message really helped Devon and I both to really kind of refocus where we're do, what we're doing and how we're, how we're doing. It's just always changing. Your kids grow up. It's always, it's always going to change. Um, and, and we're just kind of, we thought that message would say, you know what, there's some things we need to really focus on, like singing. We need to sing together. So we just started, we came back, we sung together, and we're going to start picking that up a little bit more. Thinking about how we pray together. Joe Beakey talked about how all the kids pray. So we need to think about that a little bit more, how to do that. But I just want to show you the impact of this. Joe Beakey then, then shared about how he had uh, celebrated his parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And I think he has five siblings, or five of them total. I'm not sure. Something like that. And they said, I tell you what, let, when mom and dad have their 50th wedding anniversary, let's each of us get up and give a testimony about what we appreciate about mom, what we appreciate about dad. And they weren't going to talk to each other, so they wouldn't like overlap. And so it came the day, 50th wedding anniversary, going to uh, honor mom and dad by commending them, seeing a spiritual sign of grace in their life that they appreciated. Every single one of them said exactly the same thing about their lives. They all thanked mom for her life of prayer, how she prayed so consistently for all the kids, and they all thanked dad for the way that he continued to gather the family for family worship. Like of everything that they remembered, that's the thing that they remembered. That's the thing they honored their parents about. And I'm hoping at our 50th wedding anniversary that our kids will say the same thing. And so I ask, is family worship practice in your home? It can take place in all types of homes. If you don't have children, husbands and wives, just read together, pray together. You can do that. If you have children, certainly you can do that. If your children are out of the home, certainly you can do that. I think one of the things I appreciate about my dad is when I picked up that book and started talking about these things, uh, my brother Stu was a senior in high school and he started family worship when Stu was a senior in high school. And now he's gone and so he and mom do their thing. Oh, Always reading, just always reading to each other, praying together, just around those things. But even if you're not married, have a roommate. You can do this. Krista, you can do this at college. Chris, uh, Alyssa, you can do this at college. Your roommate, just hey, let's have a time. If you have a believing roommate, of course. Is it commanded in the Bible? No, it's not commanded directly. However, you think about it, it is implied for sure. Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. God says, take my words, put them on your heart, and then take them and teach them diligently to your children. Whether you're walking, standing, wherever you are. And so I think that the practice of family worship is even a subset of the command of Deuteronomy 6. It really is the example of Joshua. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what else is going on. We, kids, you're in my house. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to practice in this way. That's what Joshua said. You can sense in him when he says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. A determination in him that we're just going to get it done. And I know no other way then Joshua says, we're going to serve the Lord, then gathering your family. Just worship. The New Testament, the call is the same. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Family worship is an avenue to provide such discipline and training and instruction for your children. So my counsel to you, men, is this. Do something. Do something. 
I would also tell you to aim for brevity. Aim for five minutes. Anyone can do something for five minutes. And let God grow then from there. Um, you can do it at the breakfast table. You can do it at the dinner table. You can do it in their bedrooms at night. Hey, guys, we're going to go to bed. Let's all gather together. And, uh, you know, with the family, we try to gather. You know, we've gathered after dinner. It's been a problem. We, we've just started gathering recently. We have dinner. We put all our dishes away and immediately. So don't break up and then try to regather because we found that too hard. Just immediately. Let's go sit on our couch and let's just read our Bible away and sing. That's kind of what we do. Uh, aim for brevity, but you know what happens when you start doing it? It becomes so sweet that you can't stop. It's like the Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one of them. You start having one, and you start having more and more and more and more. And it just gets, it just gets bigger and bigger because you, you delight in it. But I'd say aim for five minutes, and you'll be doing very well. But here I would say, men, you need to take the initiatives. You men need to take the initiative. It's on you guys. I know it's on me at the house in order to gather things up. Don't leave it to your wives. And I just say, if you're looking for something to do, I can give you ideas for sure. But just do anything. I mean, we, we've used devotionals in the past. We, children's Bibles are great for everybody. Um, you can read Christian books. Um, you devotional. You can just you read through the scriptures. You can read through it fast. You can read through it slow. I mean, we've gone varied a lot. Like, like right now, kind of what we do is I read through a John Piper devotional. It's a couple pages. Kind of hits the, the big guys. Okay, that would be Chris and SR. And uh, then I read a children's Bible, and at that point, Krissa, or, or Stephanie and David often sit on my lap, and they want to hear me read the children's Bible to them. Um, and then we read some kind of devotional Bible that, that, that Hannah likes, and we kind of go into it. And then on top of that, then we, we're reading, almost done with the Chronicles of Narnia. We've been reading those at night afterwards. But sometimes we've read the Bible. and we've, A couple years, we read the Bible all the way through in our time. That was a, that was a chore. That was a, that was a truck. Um, but that was, you know, just a lot of Bible, just and so much. Just, woo, and I said, Yvonne, let's just give it a high overview. And sometimes we've really slowed down. You've seen some memory we've done. We've memorized First Peter. We've memorized Philippians. And I thought there was another book memorized. I thought there was another one. But we're, we've memorized several books of the Bible together. And that, you're just slowing way down. Because that means like nine months you're going to be... Second Timothy, that's right. You're going to be way down, slow, way down in the Bible. So, the newest thing that, that we picked up, we just started last night, alright? But I don't know if we'll finish. <laughs> you can ask us. We probably won't finish, okay? But I uh, was given this book, I think a Desiring God conference at one time. It's called the 1718 series. This is Romans. Uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, speaks about how when a king comes into office... His job is to write out the whole law uh, by himself so that he might be careful to know the law and so what he must do. And so these, someone came up with this idea. They called it a journable, journal, Bible, journable, kind of put it together. And the idea of this book is that you basically, you write out for yourself Romans in this book on the right-hand side. So here will be Romans 11, 1 through 6. You kind of write it out here, space it out. Sometimes over here then are notes. So you kind of make it your own study guide kind of thing that you're, you're doing, and sometimes we've got little questions over here that you can look and you answer. But basically, this is Romans, and we're thinking, you know what? It might be fun to have us write out the New Testament. Each of us have our own little journals, and we write out the New Testament. So that's kind of what we're aiming. And again, it's just like a, a different level of the Bible. And so we just, we all, we, Krista went out. She was, she, Krista was really excited about it. She was almost driving this yesterday. Hey, can I go out? She was out doing some errands. She said, Dad, can I, uh, 
can I look for some journals? I'm like, okay. Hey, I found some. I think how much they cost. Well, they're $5 each. I said, okay, they look like they'll do good. I said, okay, well, go ahead and buy them. And so we've, the five oldest of us have these journals, and we're just starting in the Gospel of Matthew. Steve Brandon, February 5th, 2011. And um, here I am. We, we sat down at the dinner table last night after dinner, and we wrote half of chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And we're just through verse 17. We're going to read a Matthew commentary, and then we'll get to the next section. And we'll, we'll see how well this goes. I'm just throwing this out. This is another idea that we just kind of grab from this journal bowl and we'll... I don't know. What a great thing, though. By the time our kids leave our home, they've written out the entire New Testament. And our kids are excited about it. Are you excited, Asar? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm trying real sensitive. It's like, like not, be a, not be a drudgery, but may it be a, like, a, like a delight for us. So... I just really throw those things on you. And just whatever you do, start with five minutes. And I say that this, this journable thing is probably the fruit of a long time that our kids are, are willing and desiring to do this by, by God's grace. And I'm excited to do it too. I'd love to have these books that are all written all. And, and these books will go with them. Wherever they are, they'll show their husband or their wife, yeah, I've written out the whole New Testament. Look at here. And written notes. And I think it would be a, a real testimony to them that will constantly from the bookshelves scream at them and say, you know what's in my word. Follow me. Trust me. So that's our, that's our hope and joy. But I get all that from this final point here to practice family prayer. It all comes about by, by keeping together as a family. So they say the family that prays together stays together. I just firmly believe that. So as much as possible, guys, get at it. Help your family. May that be the testimony of your 50th wedding anniversary as well. Well, I just say, Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that these words be used of you to increase our awareness of prayer. God, I know a sermon is really fruitless to helping people pray. What we need is we need desperation. We need you to bring crises in our lives. Thank you for the crises that come. Marriage problems, financial problems, pressures from without that drive us to our knees. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would be those who focus on the quality of our prayers, not the quantity. That you would delight to answer our prayers because we're walking holy lives, loving you and serving you in, in all ways. Help us to get the Bible in ourselves that we might pray scripturally. And I pray, Lord, especially for the families of this body. God, I pray that you would help um, help to bring God a more of a presence there in whatever form that takes. Um, we pray that you'd use this message in that way for the glory of Jesus. We pray that this message might not come with legalism, with a burden to pray where people pray prayerlessly, but may it come with a joy and a resonation of the heart that just says, God, we need to we need to pray. Let's forget what what laid behind. Let's go for it with all of our gusto going forward. And I pray that you would help us with those things. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.